Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name's Emmy Page, and I'm an associate in the private client team at Winkworth Sherwood. And I'd like to welcome you to the second webinar in our weekly series of webinars throughout January as part of our New Year, New You event. Today, my colleague Alice Edwards and I will be reviewing the topic of lasting powers of attorney. We'll be giving you an overview of what lasting powers of attorney, or LPAs as they are more commonly known, are, how they are put in place, and who should be thinking about them, and what the costs and risks involved are. I'll now hand over to Alice, who will start us off with an explanation of the concept of capacity. Thanks very much, Emmy. I'm Alice and I'm also a solicitor in our private client department working alongside Emmy. I'm going to start off by talking a little bit about the background to LPAs and why they might actually be needed. Essentially, and most commonly, LPAs are there to cover the scenario when somebody lacks mental capacity. So what does that term actually mean? Essentially, mental capacity is the ability to make and communicate specific decisions yourself at the time those decisions need to be made. To have mental capacity, you must understand the decision that you need to make, why you need to make it, and the likely outcome of your decision. Sometimes people will be able to make decisions about some things, but not others. For example, they might be able to decide what to eat for breakfast, but not be able to understand how best to invest their money. Similarly, mental capacity can fluctuate. With lots of conditions, a person's ability to make decisions may change from day to day or even hour to hour. The law makes it very clear that a person has the capacity to make a decision himself unless it's proved otherwise. And wherever possible, a person should be helped to make his own decisions. What we're going to be talking about today is the various options that provide for the situation where somebody does lack capacity or is losing capacity. They all essentially provide for someone else to make those decisions for the person who lacks capacity. Before I go into the different options, just a brief word on the public bodies that deal with loss of capacity issues. You might have heard of the Office of the Public Guardian, which is a Ministry of Justice agency that registers LPAs and takes action where there are concerns about an attorney or guardian. There's also the Court of Protection, which is a court that deals with decisions or actions taken under the Mental Capacity Act, including in relation to powers of attorney. The Court of Protection makes decisions on financial welfare matters for people who can't make decisions at the time they need to be made. The Court of Protection can decide whether someone has the mental capacity to make a particular decision for themselves and deal with the appointment of deputies, which I'll touch on in a minute. So the options we're going to be talking about today in most detail is lasting powers of attorney or LPAs. These have been around since 2007, and as Emmy will explain, they can cover both property and financial affairs and health and welfare. An LPA comes into effect if you lose mental capacity or if you no longer want to make a decision for yourself. Emmy will talk a bit more about the distinction in more detail there. Basically, you can set up an LPA if you want to make sure you're covered if you lose mental capacity in the future. You might also have heard of enduring powers of attorney, which were forerunners to LPAs and were replaced by LPAs in 2007. An EPA only covered decisions about property and financial affairs, and the system was a bit different to LPAs. An EPA could be used as soon as it was registered, sorry, as soon as it was signed, and it only needed to be registered once the person giving it started losing mental capacity. It was felt that LPAs could leave donors quite vulnerable to unscrupulous attorneys um, because of the lack of oversight there. 
And they were also quite inflexible um, because there was no ability to appoint a replacement attorney if your attorney died or if they lost mental capacity themselves, um, which there is with LPAs, as again, Emmy will explain. Hence the move to LPAs in 2007. If somebody made an EPA before 2007, it will still be valid, but it's not now possible to enter into one. Finally, just a brief word on deputyship, which is another route by which decisions might need to be made for someone who lacks mental capacity. It essentially means that you apply to the Court of Protection and are appointed by the court to make decisions on that person's behalf. Uh, this may arise where a person has already lost mental capacity and they don't have LPAs in place because, as Emmy will explain, in order to put in place an LPA, you need to have mental capacity. So there might come a time where the person has lost mental capacity and deputyship is now their only option. As with LPAs, there are two types of deputy, uh, property and financial affairs and personal welfare, although the latter is much rarer. Um, subject to a couple of points that I'll discuss later, it's generally viewed as preferable to put in place LPAs rather than wait to make a deputyship application once capacity has been lost. There are a couple of reasons for this. Um, first of all, the cost. It costs hundreds of pounds, hundreds of pounds just to um, make the application for deputyship, plus another 500, sorry, 500 pounds or so if the case needs a hearing. And there's also an annual supervision fee if you are appointed as a deputy. The whole process can take months to put in place. And this is often at a time when decisions need to be made quite quickly. Um, and lastly, the donor can't choose who is their deputy because they've already lost capacity. Um, so that's obviously a distinction um, with LPAs where they make that appointment themselves. Um, and Emmy is now going to talk a bit about the practical side of how you put LPAs in place. Thanks, Alice. So now focusing on lasting powers of attorney. As Alice explained, if an individual wants to put in place provision for someone to act on their behalf, if they should ever lose mental capacity, they must now put in place lasting powers of attorney. Unlike EPAs, which covered property and financial affairs only, there are two types of LPAs. One, covering property and financial affairs. This can include decisions such as managing your bank accounts, paying bills, dealing with and collecting your pensions and investments, and selling property. And the other covering health and welfare. This can include decisions such as medical and personal care and where you live, for example, decisions about moving into a care home. The LPA for health and welfare also includes decisions about life-sustaining treatment. There are largely two parties involved in LPAs. You have the donor, which is the person giving the power, and you have the attorney, which is the person to whom the donor gives authority to make decisions on their behalf. As Alice explained, under the LPA regime, you can appoint one or more attorneys and also appoint one or more replacement attorneys who would step in and act if your attorneys were no longer able to. For example, in a nuclear family, husband and wife may appoint each other as sole attorney and then their children as replacement attorneys. When they become effective. The health and welfare LPA is only effective when you lose capacity and are unable to make decisions yourself. On the other hand, there is a choice in the property and financial affairs LPA to choose whether you want the powers to be effective only when you lose mental capacity or as soon as it is registered and before you lose mental capacity, but with your consent. Say you've injured yourself and are housebound. With your consent, your attorney could visit the bank and give instructions on your behalf if you've set up the LPA this way. Turning now to preferences and instructions. 
Within the LPA forms, you can also include preferences and things you would like your attorneys to consider uh, uh, or things you would like to happen if possible. And instructions, things your attorneys must do. And these instructions are legally binding on your attorneys. Although preferences and instructions allow the donor to control how their attorneys would act on their behalf and can provide helpful guidance to the attorneys, being too prescriptive and controlling, especially in respect of the instructions, can box in your attorneys and not allow them to act effectively. We'll come on to this in a bit more detail later on, but what is most important is appointing attorneys who you trust to make decisions in your best interests. No one can predict the future and what your needs may be. Therefore, generally, it is preferable to give your attorneys flexibility to review the circumstances and make decisions in your best interests at the relevant time. Finally, you can also choose people to be notified when the LPA is registered. This is someone other than your attorney or replacement attorneys. This gives an opportunity for those people notified to raise concerns about the LPA. For example, if they're concerned that the donor has been put under pressure to make the LPA. Turning now to the forms themselves. They are relatively straightforward, but quite long, and the strict signing process can be a bit cumbersome. The forms can be downloaded from the gov.uk website, or you can create an online account and complete them online to then print and sign. The donor and all the attorneys and replacement attorneys need to sign the forms, each alongside a witness. You must also ask someone to act as your certificate provider, who signs the forms to confirm that you understand what you're doing and that you're doing it without being forced to do so by someone. Your certificate provider can either be a professional with the relevant skills, such as a GP or a solicitor, or someone who's known you personally for at least two years, such as a friend, colleague or neighbour. Once the forms are completed, they're sent to the Office of the Public Guardian to be registered. Generally, it is advised that they're registered straight away, as the registration process can take up to 12 weeks, so it would be inadvisable to wait until they're needed to then register them. Once the forms are registered, the LPAs are then ready to be used if capacity is lost and decisions need to be made for the donor. There is a registration fee um, applicable, which is payable to the Office of the Public Guardian of £82 per LPA. I'll now hand over back to Alice, who will be looking at the more practical side of using LPAs and the risks involved. So once you have your LPAs in place, how are they actually used in practice? Historically, attorneys have had real issues, particularly with financial institutions, when trying to use LPAs. Bank staff, for example, would ask for extra documents from the Court of Protection or ask the donor to visit the branch in person, which is obviously often not practical at all. Even if the financial institution accepts the LPA for some things, they would often not do so for others. So, for example, it has been found very difficult to use them for internet banking. Uh, the OPG published guidance for bank staff and others in 2018 on how to deal with attorneys, but it didn't seem to make a great deal of difference and people still experienced difficulties day to day. So the OPG, the Office of the Public Guardian, have recently launched a new service called Use a Lasting Power of Attorney, which lets donors and attorneys give organisations direct access to view an online summary of the LPA. Um, essentially, attorneys or donors uh, create an account online and there's an access code attached to that account. The attorney and donor can then give the access code to organisations such as banks to view an online summary of the LPA. The bank can then log in and authenticate the LPA so they also know it's genuine. 
Overall, this seems to have reduced the timeline from about two weeks when LPAs need to be posted and processed in hard copy to a couple of days with the new online service. But time will tell whether it really makes a difference. Um, the new service is currently only open for LPAs registered from July 2020, but the OPG are looking at rolling out the service um, to use for earlier LPAs on a case-by-case -case basis. Of course, like anything involving money and trust, there are risks inherent in LPAs. As Emmy has explained, LPAs are entered into by a set of forms, and although there are safeguards in place, such as the need for a certificate provider and the option to notify other people, the fact that the documents can be created without professional advice does leave people at risk of coercion or giving away too much power without understanding the implications. By making an LPA, you are putting a lot of trust in your attorney and giving them a great deal of power over your personal and financial affairs. There have been plenty of high profile cases where people who are often elderly and vulnerable have been taken advantage of by their attorney. Um, in one recent case, a widower appointed his neighbour as attorney and the neighbour was then able to withdraw large amounts of cash and sell the donor's home, all of which he was able to do because he was acting under an LPA. For those reasons, some people argue that deputyship is a safe option for the vulnerable person because there are far more stringent controls on the deputy. They're more closely supervised and they have to provide an annual report to the court. However, there are also risks in doing nothing and not making LPAs because you'll have no control over who is appointed to make those decisions. As we've seen, deputyship is no longer is a longer, sorry, and more expensive process and will likely arise at an already very difficult time. Although they're not perfect, the LPA system provides a sensible safety net, as long as you have absolute trust in your attorneys, as Emmy said. So thinking about who should make an LPA, well, it's obviously never too late, to be, never too early, sorry, to be thinking about these topics. Um, loss of mental capacity doesn't have to arise through age-related illnesses. It could be an accident and you lose mental capacity that way. And even if it's only temporary, it can cause huge upset and inconvenience. For our generation, um, it's certainly something that our parents and grandparents should be thinking about now, particularly if there's any medical diagnosis that might cause someone to lose mental capacity in the future. And Emmy is going to talk about how you can approach those quite difficult conversations. So we understand that speaking about topics such as losing capacity can be uncomfortable and sometimes upsetting. However, if you discuss these types of matters whilst parents are still relatively young, then the prospect of mental decline and losing capacity is much more remote, which may make the conversations about it less painful and they may be able to be more pragmatic about it. There's no right way to go about approaching the subject. You know your family best. Some may feel it's better to discuss the subject with siblings and then approach parents together or go to parents directly. If you're worried about causing a row and or there are tricky dynamics in your family, it may be even more important that your parents put LPAs in place and can make that decision themselves. If you're faced with deputyship applications where everyone is not on the same page, it can be difficult for, for relationships to recover from such litigation. You can always speak with your parents and relatives about LPAs and then let them do their own research and perhaps speak with a solicitor to allow them to get some independent advice. It's better to embrace the subject sooner rather than later. As Alice explained, once capacity is lost, 
you cannot put LPAs in place. And the conversations, forms and costs that once looked like a bit of a headache pale into insignificance once faced with the prospect of applying to be a court appointed deputy. Nobody knows what is ahead of them. And to have an LPA in place can be looked at as a type of insurance policy, but with the crucial caveat, as we have mentioned throughout, that the donor of the power must have complete trust and confidence in his or her attorneys. Thanks very much, Emmy. Hopefully this has been a useful introduction to the topic, but if you want to ask any questions or discuss any of these topics, please do not hesitate to contact us. Uh, our details are there on the screen. Finally, please do make sure to join us at the same time next week when my colleagues Dan and Ola will be talking about the world of work.